It's not a phase, Mom. This is my life. What's up, nerds? It's your favorite drunken culture girls back again. Uh, I'm Stephanie. I'm Lindsay. And we're coming to you in another afternoon session today. Yeah. I mean, we've mostly been doing afternoon sessions lately. Yeah, because sometimes I have a life at night. Yeah, and I honestly just like to go to sleep after this, so it's fine. <laughs> I can't stay up late. I'm sorry. My beer <laughs> almost came out of my nose when you said that. So, <laughs> that was not fun. Oh, boy. All right. Um, so, I think before we get into this episode, we should disclaim it. Do a disclaimer. Yeah. So, this episode, while came and is a lighthearted discussion, their topics are going to get very dark and may... We'll... we'll this, this is a trigger warning, essentially, yeah. that... This episode's gonna get dark and might bring up some... Might trigger you into some uncomfortable memories you didn't want to relive. Yes, and I think a lot of it is maybe you didn't realize it was uncomfortable at the time, but looking back and retrospectively, it's kind of fucked up. Oh, I felt real fucked up getting prepared for this episode. Yeah. So, um, we just want to warn everybody, we'll obviously do, like, a trigger warning before we get into the, like, the deep topics. Yeah, we will save the, as I have said, like, 12 times already, the part where it gets dark. Yeah. Till towards the end. Yeah. And we're gonna start off with more of the lighthearted stuff, and we'll give you guys a trigger warning as we get close, but we just wanted to give a heads up now. That today's discussion is going to go to some dark places and live some maybe not only embarrassing, yep. but uncomfortable, depressing memories for some people. Agreed, yes. So, with that being said, because um, we kind of gave like a generic spiel of this out, we are going to be talking about emo culture. Um, obviously, we're going to do our normal intro bits, um, but we thought it would be important to just kind of give this heads up before we get into the episode. Yeah. Um, so with that being said, um... What have you been up to? I don't remember. <laughs> so I was in Montreal all of last... Well, this week, I guess. You did go to the other Lockhart, right? I did. It was kind of shitty. Like, so, How? the other Lockhart... In Toronto, like, you can just get drinks. But yeah. because of their license, it's a food license. So you have to order food if you're going to get a drink. Oh, and I, I was in Montreal for work with um, my coworker and our, or our co-worker, Tim. Um... And we had already eaten dinner. We had drank a bottle of wine between the two of us. Um, and we got there, and we're like, honestly, we're not hungry. Like, I'm not going to order food just to get a drink. It doesn't seem like to me. It doesn't look, it didn't make sense. Um, and we walked in, sat down at the bar, and the guy said that. Um, and looked around, and it wasn't really as, like, immersive. It, the, it was just kind of like a bar that was, like, also, oh, hey, by the way, this is a Harry Potter bar, but it's not. Because, yeah. like, there wasn't really Harry Potter stuff. Like, there was... It wasn't to the extent that we no, saw in Toronto. it wasn't. Uh, granted, I didn't go to the bathroom, because that was where a lot of it was. Uh, but it wasn't to the extent, now. Oh, that's so, a bummer. It was. Um, but it was... I mean, they had the potions and elixirs. They had, like, a painting of Sirius Black's, um, like, jail number, I guess. Um, and that was really... Like, that, it was kind of the extent of it. 
They had a lot of the same drinks as the Toronto one, so that's also oh, okay. the reason that we're like, eh. That's interesting the they had food, though, because the Toronto one doesn't serve food. No, it does. I think it did. Did it? I, I think so. There was a kitchen. Oh, man. It was how much food <laughs> I remember of Toronto. No, that's how drunk we were. <laughs> um, no, I mean, it was okay, but there was a lot of other things that we did that were fun instead, so um, Montreal for the last week was a lot of fun. Um, I don't really remember before that, though, because it's been three weeks. Yeah, so Stephanie's running concert list says Stephanie since we last recorded I got to see probably some of the shows I think will go down as my favorite shows of the entire year um I went and saw everything everything for the first time at Taste of Randolph and I think honestly like that's gonna go down as one of my favorite shows this year okay um we together Yes. Saw Sons of an Illustrious Father. We did. That was a very good show. They're so weird. They're very odd. I and loved it, though. Like, they, I enjoyed it. I did, too. They like kind of switched instruments constantly throughout the I thought the show. that was fun. I, I liked that as well. Yeah. But, like the, like, the guitarist would go play drums for a bit, and the drummer would play, like, keyboards, and the keyboard person would play bass. I mostly like, like that they covered David Bowie at yeah. the end. You were fucking so emotional during that. You looked at me, and you're like... I know. It was crazy. It well, was, most of the crowd was kind of like... It was a good cover, though. Yeah, honestly. it was a great cover. I thought cover. it was a really good cover. Afraid of Americans is they an co- excellent song. Also, that's like a they weird covered, 90s Bowie song. They also so. covered Nirvana, and that, that was That was weird. odd. The they acapella. did an acapella version. <laughs> they did an acapella version of All Apologies. Yeah, and it was It was weird. odd. Yeah. It was fun. I had a good time. It was just like, they're standing up there, like, belting out, and it was just so weird. <laughs> It was also, like, I enjoyed how weird it was. Because I've seen worse covers of Nirvana. At least it wasn't, like, that time the Aces played Nirvana. And the entire time you and I were like, oh, no. This is bad. Yeah, no, that was... I thought it was a good show. I had fun. People were fucking freaking out about... um, Ezra Miller. Ezra Miller, yeah. It was almost... I almost felt bad because this is not his... It's not his not. He is a member... I mean, it is his band. But it's like, but it's not. It's not just him. He's not like the lead singer. Like they all sing. Like, they, they all, all sing. Do everything. They all rotate. They all play. And I almost I actually, feel like this band was supposed to be like a collaboration thing, and people have focused so yeah. much on him. All right. So, <laughs> what else have I done? Uh, I went to the House of Vans. Yep. And I saw Ice Age and The Black Lips, who I've seen The Black Lips so yeah. many times now. I was going to go, and I can't remember why I did it. I think I was just, like, exhausted from traveling. Yeah, I think you had been traveling, and you were just worn out. Um, all right. I also... So I'm going to... I saw Thursday do their anniversary show. Do you want to talk about... We'll come back. We'll circle okay. back to this. Okay. So I won't go into detail on it. We'll circle back. But I did see Thursday do their anniversary show at Lincoln Hall. They actually she did... She saw four- Thursday on a Friday. There was very <laughs> you love much... making that joke. There was a lot of confusion around that for a lot of people that didn't know that Thursday was a band. But they did four shows. If you didn't know, they did um, their albums. I saw... When you say four shows, what do you mean? So they did four different performances. Well, that night? No, like, oh. so it was Friday. Oh, yeah, yeah, Two Saturday. Okay. I remember that. One, one Sunday? Yeah, I think that's how it worked. I don't really remember. I only went to the Friday show. They played Full Collapse, and they played War All the Time. Okay. 
So like one, the Friday show I went to was full collapse. Saturday did another full collapse, and they did War All the Time. It was like two different shows, uh-huh. and then I think Sunday they did War All the Time again. But that was kind of cool that they did like four performances in yeah, Chicago within three cool. days. Um, so this week was the Fourth of July, and Lindsay was traveling and out of the country, but I was here. And we, my friends and I went to Sleeping Village in Avondale for the first time. And on Tuesdays, they do $5 concerts. And at this concert, it's $1 hams. Nice. So we got hams drunk. But we actually discovered some really interesting bands I had never heard of before. And I had a really good time at that show. Cool. So we saw a local band here from Chicago called Pop Life. And they described themselves as, like, Yacht Rock, but oh I would not describe them as Yacht Rock. Yacht Rock. It's, like, a keyboardist, a bassist, and a drummer. And okay. I don't know. They had, like, a quirky, poppy, rocky, almost, not quite Yacht Rock. I'm not going to say Yacht Rock, I hate Yacht Rock. I do, too. That's why. Um, they had a great energy, and I enjoyed their set a lot. And then we saw a band called Dogs in Ecstasy from Milwaukee, and they... We're like a punk band, but they had a couple songs that sounded a lot like Hello Goodbye. Oh, God. <laughs> and Hello so, goodbye. you know, me and my group were all about that. Oh, yeah. No, I And love that. the headliner was a band that called themselves, um, I don't remember the name of the band, because we left, because I was super tired, um, but they described themselves as, as ambient space rock. Okay. So it was like weird shit. But it was a really fun night for five, a $5 concert, not knowing any of the music. We had a great time. Um, last night... We're going to talk about this for the entire episode, actually. Sorry. Yeah, sorry. Uh, we finally fucking saw Radiohead. Yep. That was and by so finally, good. I mean, we've seen them before, but yes, we've we talked about getting tickets for this a while we ago. We have. We've talked about this on the podcast, and it was so good. That's oh going to be God. one of my favorite shows this year. I So, one of my favorite songs um, is Fake Plastic Trees. And, like, I just... The Benz is my favorite album by Radiohead. So, the, fact, the fact that they played anything... How was that your favorite album? It's so good! It's not their best album. In your opinion. Alright, um, if your favorite album isn't OK Computer, you're listening to Radiohead wrong. <laughs> no, wrong. Alright, so... False. The Derek's Top three al- Radiohead albums. The Benz... Kid A, OK Computer. OK Computer. Ooh, in Hail to the Thief is on there. Kid A. Ah, uh, Hail to the Thief as well. Mm-hmm. In Rainbows. In Rainbows is so underrated. Whatever. They um, played, okay, I looked at their set list this morning. I did too, like the breakdown. They played so much In Rainbows last night. They played night. a lot off of, like, they played, a, they hit almost every single one of their albums, if not well, every one. No, they absolutely hit every album. Yeah. But I they, was just mostly impressed, because when they played Lollapalooza, they didn't play as much uh, In Rainbows. Well, so what's interesting is that, like, Lollapalooza, I think they played, they went heavy on, um... The new album. The, the new album. Uh... Moonshape Pool. Yes. Um, which just makes sense because it had just come out. Right. It had but, literally come out like a couple weeks before. Yeah. So, like, honestly, one of my favorite songs off of that is Burn, Burn the, the Witch. Witch. And, I mean, there's an actual reason for it. Like, I love that phrase, Burn the Witch, as, like, a feminist phrase. Um, because, like, at women's marches, like, men hold signs that are, like, Burn the Witches and call them feminist witches. And I love that, like, owning it. Yeah. Um, but I also love that song. And they played it. And I, Steph- I looked at Stephanie and I was like... Oh my god. This you and I immediately, like, they weren't even, like, singing yet. No, they, they were, were just doing instrumental. Like, they the were doing, like, a the instrumental. fade instrumental. Yeah. And you look at me and you're like, I hope they play Burn the Witch. And I'm like, dude, I think this is Burn yeah. the Witch. And then we look at Derek and Derek's like, this isn't Burn the Witch. And it was and Burn the Witch. all of a sudden he's like, 
oh, no, this is definitely <laughs> It was so good, honestly. Like, the end of that show was so... Like, the whole thing was good, but the end of it especially, like, they got, like, they were building up to, like, the end, and it really felt like they were Their building up to Their encore songs, um... Yes. They played songs I've never heard them do before. I almost lost it when they played Weird Fishes. Yes, you got, like, super into that one. Because that's been one of my favorite songs of theirs for a long time. I love In Rainbows. Well, and then they also played... They played um, 15 Step, and me and Alex about lost our shit. Yep. Because I haven't heard them play that before either. They played the song Blowout, Blowout for the first time in 10 years. Oh, that was awesome. It was so good. Their opener was... <laughs> Johnny Greenwood opening for Johnny Greenwood. So it was Junon, which is the soundtrack to a. It's like a self-titled, yeah, and self-titled like documentary. So it's a documentary, and this was the soundtrack to the documentary. Yep. But they have been touring as a band, and it's like an Israeli composer that worked with Johnny Greenwood, right? And, it's and like they Hindi sing in band. Hindi. Yeah, it's like an Indian band. Yeah, um, they sing in Hindi, and the whole time I'm looking at Stephanie, and I'm just like. I'm having flashbacks right now. I'm having PTSD flashbacks to being forced to watch Bollywood movies and go to, like, Hindu prayer services called pujas. Mm-hmm. And I'm just like, I'm having flashbacks right now. Like, I'm remembering being starving because you can't eat the day of a puja and, like, wanting meat so bad because you eat as a vegetarian for two weeks prior. Oh, man. It's like, I'm having flashbacks. But they were That good. was so cool. They it was an opener yeah. for the radio headset. That was so It was cool. really interesting. It was I, so different. There was a... a few times too where they went like it was it sounded like typical like traditionally indian music mm-hmm. um and then every now and then they'd get kind of like alternative and like weird like radiohead like bring in some weird shit that they were doing with the guitars yeah and i, I enjoyed mean, it, it was lot. really it was fun yeah i agree all right so all right so now that that's done now that we've spent most of our episode talking about that um we are going to talk about the beer real quick Yes, so this week we are drinking Sunny Afternoon from Beguile. This one is of, my first time, and it's so good. So, the first time I had this was in their tap room, and I actually didn't know... I must have been living under some fucking rock. Um, I didn't know they were canning this, and yeah. we happened to find it at the store today, and I got real excited and it's insisted so that we get good. it. It's like a really refreshing pale ale. Yeah. It doesn't, it's not too hoppy, it's, it's, it's not musty. It's citrusy. Yeah. Where it's like, it reminds... It feels like a sunny afternoon. Yeah. It, it, tastes like a, it tastes like what I imagine a sunny afternoon, beer-wise, would taste like. Alright, so let's get into the episode. So, as we said before... This week, we are discussing emo culture, and this was my idea for an episode because I went to the Thursday show, and Thursday was one of my favorite emo bands. I mean, they were kind of more into the emo hardcore thing, but like... We'll talk about that in a second. We'll we'll split it up later. We'll talk about the designations in a second. I was at the show, and I was texting Lindsay while she was doing something else, and I don't know what I was doing on Thursday. I don't know what you were doing either. Or Friday. Not <laughs> <Thursday>. <laughs> um, and she was like, yeah, no, absolutely. We got to do this. Yeah. All right. So, so with that being said, this was planned as like a lighthearted episode. But as Steph was doing research and I like happened to know a lot of like what you brought up. Yeah. Because um, I am a member on Reddit's r slash pop punk. Of course you are. Subreddit. Um, and this is a lot of the stuff gets posted out there. So it got kind of heavier. We really initially wanted to talk about, like, how embarrassed we were about who we were 
back in the emo days. I mean, like, I'm sure that will come up. Oh, yeah. No, definitely. But it eventually, like, kind of molded into, like, this bigger talk about what the, the issues culture, and the culture. Yeah. How the culture is perceived nowadays. Yes. So before... And looking back and reflecting on how the culture was. And, yeah, agreed. And then the impacts that that has had on the culture today. Yes. So, um, before we get started... I do want to, like, we, we wanted to kind of designate the fact that this is an emo episode, but in the 2000s, like, emo, pop-punk, um, indie, pop-punk, whatever. Indie rock indie was coming rock, into his thing, early um, alternative. Like hardcore, all of those genres kind of got, like, meshed, meshed together. together, their lines were blurred, so, like, a lot of the bands that we're going to talk about may not necessarily be emo, but they were pop-punk and they had some emo songs and... Or they were all part of that 2000s warped we're just tour drunk. culture. Yeah, warped tour warped culture. Warped tour culture is yeah. like, what we should That's call a good it. way to describe it. Because warped tour is not just emo, it's pop punk. No, it's yeah. hardcore, there's some yeah. metal, so this is early more, metal bad yeah. shit. Emo scene, emo, 20s, sorry, 2000s emo scene, warped tour, punk rock, summer camp. Yeah, so we'll obviously like... Just, there's no real designation between any of this, so if we call a band emo and you don't think they're emo, too fucking bad, because we thought they were emo. Right, and we looked up, like, on Wikipedia. Wikipedia has a list, and we tried to go off of that list, but at the same time, it's like, some of these bands, yeah, there's I mean, other bands I consider I don't know anybody that, that purely listened to just emo music in the 2000s. No. We all listened to there was pop a, punk, emo, Or even hardcore. if you go on Spotify and look yeah. up, oh, emo bands, no, they're like, gonna be the playing. killers are going right. to fucking and play. And A Day to Remember is going to play. Like it's A Day to Remember is on the list, by the way. Okay, well, I mean, they're not emo, so that's a thing. But they're on the list. Right, and that's the point. So we just wanted to kind of give that disclaimer real quick. Oh, yeah. That there is, like... A lot of overlap and a lot of blurred lines because in the 2000s, everyone stars, emo fans were listening to everything. Yeah, but we're gonna try and give as best to the emo scene that we can. Yes, which so. is us putting a lot more effort in than we do into anything else. Yep. All right. Do you want to give your yes. intro? So, what is emo? Emo actually. It, <laughs> It's 16-year-old Lindsay. All right, so emo actually is short for emotional hardcore or emo core and is actually a genre of rock music with an emphasis on emotional expression and confessional lyrics. So this started as like a post-hardcore style in the mid-80s from the hardcore movement in D.C., it was reinvented in the early 90s by the alt-rock indie pop-punk bands, which we now call some of the earliest emo bands, such as Daddy, the, of, Daddy of Emo. The Daddy of Emo, Jawbreaker. Yep. The um, other daddies of emo. The, <laughs> <laughs> um, other bands are like Sunny Day Real Estate and a couple of the earliest bands considered in the emo starting... Um, are Weezer and Jimmy World. I agree with that 100%. Then in the, we get into the mainstream years of emo, which is the early 2000s, and here's where shit got good. So this was kind of like almost a regional thing from what I've noticed doing research on it. I don't know that though, like, where it, I feel like it's, I mean, it started regionally, but like the emo scene, emo and scene scene, Scene scene. scene scene. The scene scene. Um, 
in Florida was huge. Like, Kiki Cannibal. Was she from Florida? She was in Florida. Oh, those damn MySpace yeah, celebrities. Yeah, like, MySpace celebrities, which was, like, a huge thing in the emo culture, like, scene culture. Oh, we'll come back to that, too. Was, like, she was from Florida. Oh, I didn't realize that. Yeah, like, Florida had a huge... So I think... Where the regional scene comes from is from where a lot of the music came from. Right. So the music came from, like, New Jersey, New York, the Midwest, and D.C. Those were, like, some of the main mm-hmm. yeah, no, I get founders that. of emo. Yep, were like, Taking Back Sunday scenes. was from... Everyone was New from Jersey? fucking New Jersey. Yeah. My Chemical Romance is from New Jersey. Jimmy Eat World is from New Jersey. <laughs> Taking Back Sunday is from New Jersey. Brand New's from New York. Like, they're all yeah. from that area. Which is funny, because, like, the other bands that were kind of, like, more pop-punk, indie pop-punk, like, um, like, New Found Glory is from Florida. Yep. Um, against Me. Against Me uh, is from Gainesville. The Gainesville? The Gainesville, where I went to college. Um, Speaking of where you went to college, did you know Dave Matthews went to Michigan State? <laughs> <laughs> yes, I did. <laughs> You've told me that before. <laughs> um, All right, I'm sorry. You back on topic. <laughs> Blanking on this band's name. Oh, Mayday Parade is from Florida. They're actually from Ocala. They played a hometown show in Gainesville. Oh, no way. Um, yeah, with the main. So they played a hometown show. <laughs> Mayday Parade in the main sounds like the most emo shit ever. They tore so much together and I loved it. I lived for it. I saw that when I was in fucking college. Damn. We're going to get into this, but like, oh, I, yeah. I still went to see emo bands when I was like, Oh, I did too. I mean, let's be real. I saw an emo band two weeks ago. <laughs> That's true. Um, um, all right. Anyways. So... We en- let's enter the years of mainstream emo music. So mainstream emo music, we were seeing Fall Out Boy on like MTV and on the radio. Yep. So we were hearing Good Charlotte on the radio. We were hearing it's these, mostly like, when these, wait, these bands were signed by major labels Atlantic, and got typically. radio. Not just Atlantic. It was a lot of Atlantic, a lot of DCMA. There were some other labels too, DCMA but getting signed. The, the main say. thing is. Getting signed, they got signed to a label. Yes, and got some radio play or well. So I think a lot of it was also getting signed to Fuel by Ramen. Oh man, Fueled by Ramen was well, like, so emo. A lot of them got signed to Fueled by Ramen, and a lot of the scene kids and the emo kids were like big fans of Fueled by Ramen. So we because were finding, of Hot Topic, because of Hot Topic, and we were finding bands because of that, and they were ending up on the radio. Like Pink and the Disco was on Decay Dance, which was an imprint of. Fueled by Robin, right. and they were on the radio right. because we were finding them out, and they were fun. Like, Fueled by Robin was part of the reason the scene blew up. Yeah. Because Tooth and Nail was a big one. Right. Um, DreamWorks Records was a big one. Hopeless Records. Atlantic. Like, there was a. Yeah. It wasn't just no, one. No, it wasn't just one. There were a lot of record so labels that were blowing these bands up. Essentially, this really kind of started to hit in the summer of 2002. And that is the year when Jimmy World's Bleed American went platinum on the strength of the song The Middle. Yep. Dashboard Confessional made it onto the charts with Screaming Infidelities. I love that song. (laughs) And they were starting to, some of these bands were starting to play like large shows by the end of 2002. Uh And then Tell All Your Friends by Taking Back Sunday dropped in 2002. And that kind of was one of the other things that kick-started mm-hmm. so much of these bands getting signed on these major labels. Um, according to a DreamWorks record senior A&R rep, the industry really did look at emo as, like, the new rap rock or the new grunge. 
I don't think that anyone is listening to the music and being that's being made. They're thinking of how they're going to take advantage of the sound's popularity at retail. And if you think about it, so many of the yeah. emo bands had all their shit at Hot Topic. They had an apolitical nature with catchy music and accessible themes that had a broad appeal to the young audience at the time. Yep. No, I agree with that 100%. And they were totally able to market on that. And yeah. that was kind of where the emo Hot scene had blew the fuck up. so much money in those years. Because, like, I go to Hot Topic. I'll walk by Hot Topic now. Like, there's nobody in there. But when I was a high schooler, those that shit was packed. Girl, like, I so still shop in Hot Topic. I mean, I just... I mean, I get it, but <laughs> I just, I, like, when I was in high school, we would go, like, the Florida thing when you were a hipster, I shouldn't say hipster, that's when not what I when you were an emo kid and a scene kid, was to, like, hang out at Sawgrass Mills, and, like, you would go to Sawgrass Mills on Friday, and all the emo, like, all the emo kids, all the scene kids would be there hanging out, going to Hot Topic, and you could not get into a Hot Topic because it was, like, at capacity. Yeah. And that was the thing, like, we'd go, like, they'd be... Everyone's like, what do you do Friday? Oh, I'm going to Sawgrass. LB too. And that was a thing. Like, we just hanging out at the mall. Because, like, I was 16. I was 14, between 14 and 16. That's what you did. So. You bought shit. The end of the emo sound was by, like, 2010, give or take a couple years. I mean, that makes sense. Cause I the think... scene had pretty much died out. Groups so, either changed sounds or disbanded. 2010 was around the time that people... I graduated in 2010, but around the time, like, people my age and your age were graduating high school. And moving and on to college. becoming, like, 18, becoming adults, yeah. moving on, and, like, getting out of that. I want to say, like, emo was kind of childish. Like, I, I shouldn't say childish, but it was very, like, angsty, very high school-driven. Like, yeah. you're really bummed out, depressed. because For like, me, it was more middle school-driven, because, I mean, I'm a little bit younger than you are. Yeah. But, um, but that's that makes sense, because that's around the time that we were all, like, Growing up a lot more, yeah. oh, and yeah. realizing like, oh, I don't need to actually be this bummed out. Like people, I don't, don't need to be me. this bummed all the time. People don't hate me. I'm just being super angsty. And then um, also, emo underground music revival has kind of been a thing in the last little bit, yeah. couple of years, with bands like Modern Baseball and Moose Blood and other bands like that have kind of been that sound of the emo yeah. band with similar levels of angst yeah that have kind of become a thing not nearly as big as the scene was when in the early 2000s but they're kind of like an an emo sound from like think like 90s jawbreaker like yeah. a kind of a similar it's like not, energy it's more pop punk than it is emo well 90s emo was also essentially like pop punk though right. so where is that line drawn i don't know it's, so it's, that's what we were saying at the yeah. line there's, like, it's a very thin line, and it's yeah. hard to determine, like, what's actually emo and what's actually pop punk. All right, so. Let's talk about the culture that came through the music. So it started with the music, and now we're going to get into the crazy, embarrassing Fashion, fun culture, shit. behavior, whatnot. Awfulness. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so, do you want to talk about what you wore? Or do you want to talk about what... All right, so let's start with this. Did you self-identify as an emo kid? I self-identified as a scenester. You identified as a scenester? Yes. I had the steps. I had the mullet. I I don't know. Florida, I was, like, both at the same time, if that makes sense. Like, there were days where I would, like, wear a ton of, like, makeup and be emo, like, be depressed and 
sad. And there were days where I was like fucking fluffing up my hair and. But actually, let me phrase that. I wasn't both really of a scene. the, the I wasn't of the hair. I wasn't a MySpace scene star. Like okay. I wasn't like that. I didn't have right. like the leopard print hair and like the chunky Hello Kitty jewelry. I didn't do that. I was like a mix between scene star and emo kid, where I had like the hair, the stereotype, the stereotypes of the emo, of the emo kid, but yeah. I dressed kind of like a. Well, I didn't really dress like a scene star though. Like I, I just I had like the hair of a scene star, okay. but I dressed like an emo kid. Like I wore a lot of black. I wore. Um, like baseball tees because that was what we did. A V neck, so many V necks, dude. I so wear so many V necks, so many V necks. The um, American Apparel V neck, yeah. or was that not a thing in Florida? No, that was a thing. <laughs> also, the Forever Twenty One V necks that were like ultra low. Oh, I never had any of those. The deepest of V's, <laughs> the deepest of the deep V's. Yep. Um. So I don't think I ever identified as emo, or scene for that matter um i didn't really dress the part i didn't really act the part i do have to say like at the time i listened to a lot of this emo music i was also very big into like the early like alternative indie scene yeah so at the same time i'd be listening to this super emo like the mainstream third wave emo music i was listening to like the yeah yeah yeahs and Under Oath. I mean, Under Oath kind of fits into it yeah. all. No, you're but right. I listened. To, I've always listened to such a variety of music that I don't think there was a time where I exclusively listened to just the emo stuff. So the stereotypical subculture of emo. We'll come back to scene. We're going to focus on emo for a second. Is that? Um, it's a relationship between the fans, the artists, along with fashion, culture, and behavior. So essentially, you wore skinny jeans, a super undersized, tight-fitting band yeah, t-shirt. Yeah, like if you were a medium, you were in like small or extra small. I was wearing extra small and I was maybe like a small. So I feel like there's a designation of people that wore their studded belts normally and the people that wore like the belt buckle part. On like the side or in the back. I was part of the latter group. I wore mine on the front. I wore mine on because the side. Because so I thought it was, the... it took way too much effort to take that studded belt off. Did you wear two studded belts at once? So one was holding your pants up and then one was kind of like way no, too I, long? I did not. I had friends that did that. I did not. I, um, so we never took off, like I never, I never took off my studded belt. Like my pants, my studded belt, my pants were so tight that my studded belt was not doing anything for me. It was just there. So it was more of an effort to take off my actual pants than it was to, like, take off the belt. Because <laughs> my pants were so tight back then. I never wore super tight. I wore skinny jeans, but, like, oh, I, I didn't I used wear... to have my mom sew my skinny jeans skinnier. <gasps> no, you didn't. I legit have my mom sew my skinny jeans skinnier so they, like, hugged my ankle. Dude, I wear skinnier skinny jeans now oh, than I, know. I did when I was My skinny 13. jeans were like wearing leggings because before they were jeggings, before were, jeggings a were a thing. Yeah. yeah. There were jeans that like basically hugged my ankle because my mom sewed them t- like smaller. And she was just like, this looks weird, Lindsay. It's in, mom. Uh, it's not a phase. This is not a phase, mom. Yeah, it was. It Actually, it if was. anything, it wasn't because I've, I've dressed Part more of like it, an yeah. email person now sure. that I'm 24 than I did when I was 13. All right, let's keep going. Okay. So, 
the extra flat ironed hair. You, I'm sure you did that. Oh yeah. Oh um, yeah. I have straight hair, and I flat ironed my hair. I had straight hair back then. My hair is kind of wavy now. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I, I used to. I used to tell my friends that like if I was lazy, I put my hair in a ponytail and just straighten the ponytail part of it. <laughs> I did. Fuck? I did. Dude. I legit did. Did you also flat iron your bangs? Of course I did. You've seen the photos of me. There's no way my hair is naturally that straight. So I never. It took until like I got still to, flat iron my bangs. It took until I got to high school to even get a haircut. Cause I was into like the emo stuff before high school, but it took until I got to high school to get any kind of side bang. And even still, I did not have, like, the super dramatic Oh, yeah, one. I did. Well, my thing was, I was a competitive dancer <laughs> No, at the I played time. softball. My mom hated it. But I used to have to, like, clip my hair up and wear headbands. So when I did competitive dance, you have to look the same on stage. So I had to have a haircut that I could easily, like, pin uh, into the gotcha. dancer haircut. Yeah. Like, that's the stage My look. mom was just like, as long as you can put it away when you, like, put your headbands away... I used to take, like, I used to cut my own bangs, you know, I didn't trust any hairdresser with it, because they always fucked it up. And by that, I mean, they made it look normal, but, like, I was you wanted and I to wanted be it extra. to look extra. Um, so I was taking, like, a razor, and, like, an actual, like, shaving razor, and, like, sh- razor my own bangs, so that they were stepped, and... The steps. <laughs> the steps. Yeah, so that they were stepped, and, like, I used to... Haley Williams, actually, was my inspiration for my bangs, because she had incredible bangs in the Misery She did. Video. Oh, God, I... Don't like Paramore, but I, we'll come back no, to that. No, but she had, like, amazing bangs, and it, but, like, it was kind of flooped up like I a will bird. say, she had she pretty had good such bangs. good hair. She has good, great hair in general. Um, so I did my hair like that. Anyways. Um, so you also had the steps? I had steps. Well, I, I, I also cut those myself, too. I straight, like, one day sat in, like, my, sat in my uh, bathroom, took a, a shaving razor to my hair, and, sh- like, shaved it mullet. I gave myself a mullet. I never did that. That was never... I had very normal-looking hair at... Oh, no. I was the a same kid through and through. You've seen this photo of me. I have. We should post this on the Instagram. You should. That's funny as hell. Um, I was straight C, and I had, like... I had stepped hair. I will clear. say the other thing... But so I'm not gonna lie. It grew in to be... It grew in very cute. Like, if I show you this photo of what it looked like after it grew out... Because my, my biggest thing was that because I was so involved... Yes. This is what it grew out to look like. It did look good when it grew out. I've seen that photo before, too. Yeah, like, how the fuck did steps grow out to look like that? Um, so not only was I doing, like, competitive dance at the time when I was, like, a teenager, I also used to skateboard. <laughs> I laugh every time for some reason. I don't know why, because I used to skateboard, too. <laughs> <laughs> Um, but so my biggest requirement was that I could cut my hair however I wanted, but it had to go into the stage performance hairstyle. Uh-huh. So I had to still keep my hair. I couldn't have super, like, stepped layers to my hair. Yeah. I couldn't have a mullet because that wouldn't work at the hair, like, with the stage performance. That was too much effort. So I had, I looked very normal. I mean, I look back and I guess we're going to talk about this, but... I look back and I kind of miss it. (laughs) Anyways, let's keep going on. Okay, so the emo subculture was stereotyped with overly, being overly emotional. Fucking duh. Um, Sensitivity, 
misanthropy, which I actually had to look this word up because I didn't know what it meant. Um, it's a general hate, dislike, distrust, and just contempt of the human species and nature. But yeah, I did some actual research for this yeah, episode. I, I, I looked, up words. looked up that word because I didn't. I know. looked I up still, words I did not on know Wikipedia. Um, it <laughs> also included shyness, introversion, and just like fucking angst and fucking depression, self harm, and suicide were kind of viewed in the stereotype, but they were also kind of glorified through the culture and the music and all that good shit. So, later on, bands actually started to reject the emo, air quotes, emo label because of the controversy and social stigma associated with the self-harm and the suicide aspects. And supposedly there was some kind of association with Satanism, which I never heard any of that, but that's something I found in my research on this. I'm here for it. Alright, so back on to more of the lighthearted banter. Yeah, let's do a little discussion topics. How did you get into the emo slash scene stir scene? So I was I hate in, saying scene scene. <laughs> <laughs> I wanna say I was in like seventh grade, um, when I got into I think it was seventh grade. Um, when I got into like Good Charlotte and Simple Plan. Um so this would have been God, Simple Plan was so angsty. This would have been like 2005 or so. Okay. I want to say, like, so I got into Good Charlotte, Simple Plan, Bold Pursue, Newfound Glory. Like, just kind of like the intro bands that get you into the scene. Yeah. Um, and it was because of one of my really good friends at the time um, was obsessed with, um, like, Bold Pursue and, like, Good Charlotte was on the radio at this point, and I really Good liked Charlotte it. Good Charlotte came on the radio in 03? Okay, well, whatever year then, I Question guess. Question mark? Here, I can look this up. No, you know, that makes sense. That sounds right. Let's be real, though. Can we talk about the song, The Anthem? Because that song fucking slaps. <laughs> that song is the anthem. Um, but anyways, like, yeah, Good Charlotte was on the radio, and that's how I kind of find out about, found out about them. And from there, I got into My Pumpkin Romance and The Used and, like, just a bunch of different emo bands from there. Um, so that's how I got into it, because, like, one of my friends was just like, if you like Good Charlotte, then listen to these yeah. bands. Um, I got into... Good Charlotte. Um, I think I was going into middle school. So I was like finishing elementary and going into middle school. That sounds right. O two. Yeah, that sounds right. Yeah, that sounds right. Um and I remember seeing like music videos for back when MTV showed videos in the yep. early morning. I would like watch MTV in the morning and I remember seeing like Good Charlotte's like the anthem and lifestyles that Rich and Famous playing. I started listening to them and I was never super into them. And then I started listening to more of like the early alternative stuff. So like that's right oh three is when the Strokes first album dropped and the Yeah Yeah Yes came out and T V on the radio came out shortly after that. So I was listening to a lot more of that. Also, I had older brothers yeah. who never went through an emo phase, so they were always listening to the All killers the and like yeah. more of the alternative stuff. But I honestly think what started me down the more emo music path, even though I don't consider this band emo, was when Green Day released American Idiot. Yep. No, I don't consider they're like true pop punk. 
Yes, but when they released American Idiot, yeah. I think that was the first time I had ever heard a, like an album that really... I, I love American Idiot. That's a good album. It's a, it's a I good don't like album. Green Day anymore, but that's a good fucking it's, album. That song is a bop. That album but is a bop. Listening to, listening to like Green Day, getting me into Blink-182, listening to Good Charlotte, that kind of all... I think that all kind of yeah. eventually led you to... The pop punk, which led you to the emo at some point. Yeah. So that's when I got into, like, Taking Back Sunday and yes. Jimmy Eat World. And then I went down the spiral. So I actually, like, personally don't self-identify as having been emo. Like, I, I don't either. I never... I was called emo a hundred thousand times. I was called times. emo. But I never was part of, like, the emotional aspect of it. Yeah. It was more so, like, the social aspect that was I was a part of. Like, I... The song's, like... I felt terrible about myself a lot of the times, but, yeah. like, I never, I was never actually that depressed, or, I don't know that I was ever really depressed in middle school, like, I was bummed out a lot, but I wouldn't call myself, like, I've been depressed as an adult, yeah. and I wouldn't call what I felt as a high schooler, middle schooler, depressed, so I wouldn't say, like, I self like I at the time, probably, yeah, but looking back, I'm just like, no, I wasn't really emo, I thought I was, maybe, but, like, I dressed, I dressed the part, I did not engage in a lot of things that, like, emo kids typically, like, stereotypically did. So... So, like, I... Trigger warning. I didn't cut. Yeah. I wasn't... I didn't self-harm in any way. Like, I... I I wasn't that... Yeah. I wasn't that depressed. So, what's funny is I never identified personally as emo... But I absolutely, and I didn't have the social part of it because I was probably the only kid at my school that dressed like that or looked like that or listened to that kind of music. Like, I'm not going to lie. I was one of maybe three. And I did not like those other kids. That's interesting to me because, like, when I was in high school and middle school, I was one of the first people in middle school to be like that, to be listening to that music and whatnot. But when, like, Fall Out Boy started hanging big, like, a lot of people started, like, joining the culture and started doing that. Um, started dressing, like, in all black, black and cutting steps and whatnot. Um, cutting their hair into steps and whatnot. Um, I was one of the first people. People made fun of me when I was one of the first. But, like, eventually it was, like, 50% of our, my high school it was like that. Mm-mm. So where I grew up, and it's funny because I am from the Midwest, and you would assume that was a bigger part of the scene, but, like, I was the only girl that used to hang out at the skate park. I was the only person that was into any of this stuff. I had one guy friend that was into it. And even he was, like, not as in... He was pretty into it. He... I think he was more into it to be like, Oh, look at me. I'm emotional and an artist. And you should pay attention to me. Like, looking back, that's kind of how he behaved about it. But, like, I was super fucking depressed. I was super... I didn't self-harm. Trigger warning. I didn't self-harm. And I never wanted to do that. But that's also because I have a huge fear of blood. Yeah. So, that's a different story. But... I was extremely depressed and was regularly called emo because, like, everybody fucking knew I was depressed. I didn't have to talk about it. Like, it was pretty fucking obvious. When you're the only person in your entire school suffering like this, it's, yeah. and you're the only but one that looks like, in... I think you have, like, a reasonable, like, 
the reason that you were depressed, I think, is very fair. And, yeah. Like, kids are shitty, so. Yeah. What was your favorite aspect of the cultural scene? So, I liked that there were a ton of people, at least in Florida, that were kind of like-minded in the sense. Or, like, we were all, like, listening to the same music, going to the same shows. Like, I remember going to see Fall Out Boy um, with, like, Cobra Starship, I think. <laughs> Actually, no. I, Fall Out Boy with, like, gym class heroes some other people, and I can't even remember. I'm sorry, was it the tour that was Hey Monday, Gym Class Heroes, um, Plain White Tees at Fall Out Boy? Because I went to that tour. It was that show, <laughs> yes. It was that tour. Um, and I remember going, and it was Halloween for us in Florida. Oh, okay. And it was, like, mid-November. Yeah, it was Halloween in Florida. So, like, going there and seeing a bunch of my friends in the pit area, and, like, hanging out, and just getting to go. It was so much fun. I... Also, it was... <sighs> It was weird, because, like, in Florida, you're also constantly feuding with those people, and they're all calling, like, everybody posers. So, like... That was the thing. Everyone was calling everybody a poser right. the entire time. So, like, the girls that I was friends with, so I don't want to name them, but, like, the girls I was friends with that were, like, big into Fall Out Boy, they liked me, but they hated my friends, and they called my friends posers. So, like, back in the MySpace days, they'd be, like, these lists, and they would be, like, they would number things and, like, describe a person and be, like, who are you? And I remember being on there, and they were, like, I love you, but I hate your friends. And I was, like is that one me? It was. And they're they like, we love you. We think you're super cool, but we hate your friends because we think your friends are posers. And Calling was, everyone was a poser? They called my friends posers because, thing. like, they liked Fall Out Boy, but they didn't dress emo. So, like, they dressed normal. Like, they wore jeans, regular t-shirt, like, regular clothes, and they weren't, they weren't an emo. Mm-hmm. Um, so, they, they were like, your friends are posers because they, like, like Fall Out Boy and they like all these bands that we like, um, but they don't, they're not we don't dress the bar. Yeah. We're not actually a part of the scene. Right. So that was, I mean, I liked the camaraderie and the friendships that I had, but I also hated the fact that my really good friends who are not part of the scene were, like, made fun of and, like, bullied, essentially, for not being part of the scene. I was that person. I was yeah. made fun of for not being a part of the scene. So I, I just, I think we were all so mean to each other, and that was the worst part of it. Like, we were... We were straight bullies. We were so mean. Yeah. And I remember, like, and looking back, I was, I wasn't actually, I, mean, I don't consider myself a bully, and I don't think I was, but I wouldn't stand up to that. And that's so, fair. because I didn't stand up to it, looking back, and like, I was a bully because I yeah. didn't stand up against it and say, like, that's, that's shitty. Um, so that's, like, my favorite aspect was, like, the friendships, but also, like, the worst aspect was That's the also friendship. the worst aspe- aspect. Yeah. Um, for me, I think my favorite aspect was, like you said, the community that came around the music. Yeah. Um, but I think for me, the worst as the worst aspect is that because I was so few and far between where I grew up, like the people that were into yeah. it, like I grew up being made fun of and almost, and because I actually did have depression as a teenager, it was worse, and I had an eating disorder as a teenager, like. That made, I was made fun of for being a part of the scene. Gotcha. Even though I I didn't think I was, and no one else really felt like I was, but because I was the only one that was like that at the time, I was made fun of for being an emo. Yeah. Or that's what I, I was. I was known as the emo girl probably until I graduated high school. Even though. I, that, even when I graduated high school, I was more into the indie scene. I was more yeah. into the alternative scene. Like, I was not into the 
like mainstream emo scene even when I was in middle school like mm-hmm. but I was made fun of as being the girl that had was like wearing all black yeah and, yeah actually what's funny now you wear more black now I wear more black now yeah, I wear more black I wear now. more makeup now than I did when I was a teenager fuck I wear more eyeliner now than I did as a teenager I wear more black I wear more makeup I don't know that I wear more eyeliner now but I, I didn't def- I didn't wear eyeliner. Did you do? You did. Did you do heavy raccoon eyes? Yeah, I did. I never did that. I did heavy raccoon eyes, and then maybe my like junior and senior year, I realized how ugly it was, and I stopped wearing as much. Um, so now, like, I wear more eyeliner than I did when I was in twelfth and eleventh grade. But yeah. when I was like in the scene, and we were all like, by eleventh and twelfth grade, we were all kind of like getting out of it and yeah. still listening to the music, but not dressing that way anymore. Um, I wear more than I did then. So. What was the cringiest trend that you were into? Probably my... I think a lot of the MySpace shit was pretty cringy. Yeah. Um, I was never like the RAR means I love you and dinosaur (laughs) thing. Jesus, yeah. Um, I I just... I followed the scene emo MySpace celebrities, and that was early YouTube for me. Yeah. The early YouTube celebrities in that yeah. at the same time. I think my cringiest thing is, hold on, I have to look up what these so, guys So, I think were. the interesting thing about, like, the MySpace days was that I feel like the scene, scene, the scene and emo scene was, like, kind of, like, the basis for how social media is viewed these days with, like, Instagram celebrities and Twitter celebrities and whatnot. I found their name. Okay. So, and this was, like, late emo stuff the Destry and Nate on YouTube they're called Des and Nate and it was these two super scene kids that were like big towards the late end of the uh-huh. emo phase and they had a YouTube channel where they were so fucking weird that was one of the cringiest things like looking back that I was super into <laughs> um I think some of the guys I was into at that oh, age was so cringy. Yeah. And we'll come back to Same. some of that discussion. But some of, like, the celebrities I was attracted to or the kinds of, like, boys I was like, oh, my gosh. Like, this is the kind of boy I would like to date. Like, and looking back, like, when oh, I was, like, no. 14. Like, yeah. oh, man. There was, um, my cringiest trend that I was into were, like, the steps. The super, like, mullety, razored hair. Um... But that's also the thing I would bring back because I fucking loved my hair back then. Okay, so my next question was going to be: if there was one thing about the fade, <laughs> the, the the scene scene yeah. that you could bring back, you think it'd be the steps? And Prettiest the mullet? trend, mullets. They gotta bring back mullets. <laughs> uh, so it's funny. The thing and I like studded belts. I was gonna say studded belts is probably mine because yeah. I would rock a fucking studded belt. I would belt. too. Honestly, with I my high waisted jeans, you know I would fucking rock a studded yeah, belt. Yeah, I would too. Um... I wouldn't wear it sideways because I didn't no, wear I it would. sideways. I when, would. I, when I was 13, I didn't wear a studded belt sideways. It took too much effort, all right? You I wore t- the same. I mean, I wore everybody, like, my. Everybody in, like, our scene pretty much wore the same jeans every day, so you just, like, unbuckled it and took them off. Mm-mm, I did not do that. Yeah, I would I take the belt out and, like, put my jeans somewhere else. I did not do that. Um, what was your favorite band back in the day? Um. So my favorite emo band was absolutely Cobra Starship, and if you're gonna tell me yours wasn't, we might not be friends. Mine anymore. was not. Mm-mm. Oh, Cobra so Starship I was that was... person that like kind of 
as like a new albums came out, it kind of cycled. So like My Comfort Romance was one of my favorite bands. I did um, like my chemical Good Charlotte well. was like my absolute favorite band. I don't consider them an emo band. So. I mean, but they're part. Yeah, they, I don't either. Yeah. No, I mean, I don't consider Cobra Starship an emo band. Oh, I absolutely do. I know. They're like the beginnings of like electronic. They were the beginnings of like the scene kit shit. Yeah. Um. So like, Good Charlotte, My Couple Romance, Take It Back Sunday, huge. One of my huge favorite. All bands. right. If we're going purely emo, Motion City soundtrack. I love Motion City soundtrack, but I, I would still pick like MCR. Mm-mm. I'm always, but also, oh, I so the main, Motion also City. the main. Like my senior year of high oh, school, I, know. I don't think I've I ever listened so, to the main. Even me today. and my best friend were so into the main. Ugh. I'm going to be honest. It. I still don't think I could tell you a single main song. Oh, I could tell you very many main songs. I know you could, but I right. could not. Least favorite band, Paramore. Even to this day, I just. Buys that band. Interesting. I think Haley Williams is annoying, and I do not like her voice, and I don't I like their Paramore. music. I still love Paramore. Um, for me, uh, I don't know. Also, I hated like Escape the Fate. Though yeah, I don't like it. I don't like Escape the Fate. I, I don't, also don't like Census Fail. I don't like Census Fail, and that's that a controversial opin- opinion. Whoa, opinion, opinion. It's a controversial opinion because I have friends today and a boyfriend today that still love Census. I don't Fail. like Census Fail. Um, I don't either. I don't like Escape the Fate. I don't like Pierce the Veil. Ooh, Pierce was, the Veil's also garbage. I also was not a big fan of From First to Last. How. Dare you? I, I love from first like to last. I quite enjoy the fact that I hate Sunny more. Because then you can and hate Skrillex hate too. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, everyone hates Skrillex, so it's fine. Um. All right. Have you since participated in any emo shit? Dude, I go to all the fucking emo nights. Oh, yeah, I know. I do too. <laughs> um, I fucking love emo nights. I do too. Emo nights. So in Chicago, every Sunday. Beauty bar. Which you've heard us talk about. Yeah. Oh, it's the spot of all spots. (laughs) Um, They do an emo versus pop punk night every Sunday. And then the first Friday of every month, they do like an an emo band-ish pop punk band happy hour. The first Friday of every month. Yeah. So I still go to emo shows. Like I've seen the main. Oh, I go to a lot of emo shows. Yeah. I still go to a lot of emo shows. Um. I saw I Panic go, at the Disco two years ago. <laughs> oh, that was some good shit. I saw Paramore recently. Um, Ugh. I was that at Riot Fest last year? Yes. Um, they were here, like, last this week. Yeah, but I wasn't going to pay that much money. Well, I wanted to go see people. Foster the People. I no, don't like I, Paramore, but I'm I not going to pay I'm that. I'm not going to spend that much money. I'm not going to spend that money for Paramore. If it was just yeah. Foster the People, I would have gone. I still see Andrew McMahon shows, so, like, he still plays... I do like Andrew McMahon. He still plays, like, Jack's Mannequin, something corporate stuff, so I love... I mean, I still see him, and he's my favorite artist. Um, or one of my favorite artists. Is that your favorite emo band? Something corporate? They're, like, pop punk. Something Corporate is legit pop punk. Mm-mm. I consider it pop punk. You're on the Wikipedia list. Uh, then yes, if it's not, Something Corporate is considered emo, then it's Something Corporate. Okay. Something Corporate is like one of my favorite bands. They're really like kind of what turned me into the person I am today. Um, I actually plan on getting a tattoo of one of their lyrics one day. Um, so yeah, I guess Something Corporate if they're considered emo. Um, have you been to any anniversary? Ooh. Anniversary shows? Yeah. So That's what the, I was the to say. Thursday show a couple weeks ago. So I saw them play Full Collapse, but 
this tour was a celebration of War All the Time, which is their second album, which this year is their 15-year anniversary. Okay. So Full Collapse already had their anniversary for 15 years. But they kind of celebrated the show because Thursday's been a band for 20 years. So it was meant to be like, hey, we've been a band for 20 gotcha. years now. Let's play our first two albums. Okay. Um, and then last year, I saw Newfound Glory play Sticks and Stones. Gotcha. Okay. So. And they played another album too, but I forget what it was. Also, I saw Under Oath do a reunion show where they played They're Only Chasing Safety and Define the Great Line. Okay. That was a big show for me, actually, because that was my first time. That was my first time seeing Under Oath since I had been like 13. Because the first time I saw Under Oath, I was 13 years old. And they were one of my favorite bands when I was 13. Mm -hmm. Mostly because it pissed my mom off. Because they were... uh, Spencer Chamberlain screams so much. Yep. It mostly pissed my mom off. So I got very into Under Oath. Were you the person... Oh, so did you go to shows with your parents? Or did you go Um, alone with your friends? Because I never went to shows with my parents. I would go with either my dad or my brothers. Okay. And I actually didn't go to that many shows when I was that young. Um... My, one of my first concerts, I mean, my first, first concert was, like, Elton John and Billy Joel with my dad, but that, like, my first, like, quote-unquote emo concert, my brother took me for my birthday to that Fall Out Boy tour. Okay. So I was, that was for my 14th birthday. And Um, then after that, like, my dad, my dad liked Fall Out Boy enough where he would, like, take me and a friend to go see them. And then, like, Warped Tour, I would go with my friend's parents. But, funny story, the first concert I went to without a parent, I got grounded so fucking hard because I had just gotten my driver's license, and I drove down to Detroit, and my mom was so mad that we drove to Detroit by ourselves. Granted, it's like a 20-minute drive. I didn't drive far. And my mom was so afraid of downtown Detroit when I was a kid that she was 100% sure I was going to get murdered. Granted, I'm in, like, across the street is fucking Comerica Park where the Tigers play, and there was, like, a Tigers game, so there's 100,000 people down in downtown. Okay. And it was Cobra Starship, 303, and Travi McCoy playing Billionaire. (laughs) That's amazing. Oh, man. And I drove. I was the only one of my friends that had a car. So, my first show in the scene would have been, was The Academy Is, Armor oh, for Sleep. Oh, I love The Academy Is. The Academy Is, Armor for Sleep, uh, Sherwood, and A Rocket to the Moon. No, The Rocket Summer. The Rocket Summer. Um, and my dad drove me and, like, two other friends to go to the show. Mm-hmm. And picked us up. It was fine. My first show, like, driving, my, I, I never drove myself, but... Uh, like, with friends that drove me was... Without a parent involved. Oh, I never went... Oh, yeah, without a parent involved was seeing... I think it... I would... I think it was the Fall Boy Cobra Starship. Um, and Hey Monday Show. I think I'm making that up. Okay, so... No, that sounds right, because there was a Fall Out Boy show I went to with my dad that was... Fallout Boy, All Time Low, 
Cobra Starship, and Hey Monday. That sounds like a real... Fall Off by All Time Low. Yep. That's, yes! yes! That's the one I went I went to, to that one, too. My, I saw it in Georgia, and my friend drove me, and, like, we drove... My dad drove my me and my friend to that. She stayed, at my, she stayed at my house that night, and then drove us to school the next day. Um, so that was the first show I went without, like, any kind of parental... parental I went... My dad took me to that show. Yeah, my dad actually really liked Michael Lee Romance back in the day. I used to play Mike Evan Romans. He was like, My this is dad pretty good. still likes Fall Out Boy. All no, right? My dad was like, This is pretty good. Um, but for anniversary shows, I went to Tell All Your Friends 10, so the 10 year of Taking Back Sunday Tell All Your Friends tour. When was um, that? With Bayside. That was. Oh, the Taking Back Sunday Bayside show. I yeah. do know what that, that was. That was like 2012, I think. That, that came here. That um, was right before I moved out here. Yeah, so that was like six years ago. And then I saw um, A Lesson in Romantics by uh, Mayday Parades. That was at the Riot Fest, the Riot Fest show. So, for those of you unaware of Riot Fest, every year they have six, seven, eight-ish bands play an anniversary yeah. show, where they'll have a band play one album, whether it's a 10-year, 15, 20-year anniversary from start to finish. Yep. So, last year, Mayday Parade played yep. one. Yeah. Um, and then I didn't see I it, didn't but they go did. To, like, something Corporate did do a show for this, but for the leaving... Through your window, mm-hmm. through the window, leaving through the window. Yes. To ten uh, year anniversary, they released like a new vinyl, like a, a set mm-hmm. of a bunch of crap, and my mom actually got that for me. Oh, that's cute for my birthday. All right, so let's get into. I do want to discuss this before we get too far down. So we've mentioned the phrase "scenester," or I'm sorry, "scene." You have mentioned the phrase "scenester." And I have said scene kids. So, scene kids and emo kids. There's a lot of overlap, but there was also There's a, a lot difference. of overlap, but there was also a difference. And I actually found a wiki how. First off, why the fuck is this a thing? Um, called Know the Difference Between Scene and Emo. Method one. Distinguishing the fashion. You examine the color choices. Yeah, scene kids wore, like, bright, like, flashy clothes. Obnoxiously flashy, bright clothes. Evil kids wore, like, black and gray. Like I do today. Yeah. And that rhyme. Oh, God. Um, Know the difference in hairstyles. So, essentially, they're saying they have the same hairstyle. Haircut. The same haircut, different hair But they have different hair colors. Yeah. So, So, essentially, the emo hair is dyed black or with, like, a very subtle bleach bit of color or also like a slight bleach blonde or like a blue or it's just super straight basic color and the scene hairstyle is like over the fucking top as many fucking colors as you can fit into a black dyed hairstyle as you possibly or blonde yeah yeah and i didn't realize this a thing Black horned rimmed glasses were super popular in emo fashion. I do I, remember that being a thing. We I don't remember like that black, being black, a thing. Black thick glasses back then. I wear those now. So yeah, I mean I do too. So I did not realize that. I don't remember that being a thing, but apparently it was a thing. Um, it says notice the band T-shirts. Both subcultures have ties to music, but emo is far more music-centric than scene. In fact, as a subculture, emo was born out of the music style with roots in the punk and post-hardcore genre. So, we already know that. Yep. Count the piercings and tattoos. <laughs> so, I didn't have tattoos, obviously, because I was 16. Like, I was a kid. Yeah, I was a child. 
So I didn't have any of those, yeah. but I did have a ton of piercings. I also had gauges, not like huge ones, but I was attempting to gauge my ears. I was not allowed, I, I was never allowed to get piercings. I mean, I didn't get my first tattoo until after David Bowie died in 2016, but um, I didn't even get my first piercing until 2016. Really? Like I mean, I had, my, I had my lobes pierced oh. as a child, like little child. And then my mom told me that getting my cartilage pierced was trashy, and it took me until I was 22 to get my cartilage pierced. Interesting. And I, I, I was, had the hoop that I have, I got when I was 22. I got my cartilage like you think pierced I when I, got I was, that, like, in fifth grade. You know what I mean? Like, you think I would have got this pierced as a kid. Yeah. No, I, I got had this, this pierced at 22. I got my cartilage when I was, like, in fifth grade. I got my middle cartilage. I did mine myself in ninth grade. Um, and then I got my other three on each side in fifth grade. Got my nose pierced after I graduated. I was, like, 20 when I got my yeah. nose pierced, finally. Yeah, no, I've literally just had my lobes pierced until... That's crazy. I, like, I had lived up here for almost a year. That um, is crazy. I got, my, then I got in trouble with my mom when oh, I got it. Because I, I didn't tell her, and she noticed it. She's like, what's on your left ear? My mom still doesn't... My mom still doesn't know I had my septum pierced. Really? Yeah. Hmm. Moms. It's not a phase, mom. It's not a phase, mom. All right. Method two is characterizing the music. So if you're listening for a dance beat and the scene culture led towards the party music. Yep. As I'm throwing up double peace signs in the air saying that. I'm throwing up my diamond. <laughs> um, the emo music was more dramatic. The scene music was more party music. Yeah, um, I agree with that. A, Number two, assess the vocal styles. Emo vocals are dramatic in mood and can even occasionally feature screams, moans, and howls. Yep. This is a WikiHow article. I mean, it's let not me, wrong. Let me bring this back. It's not wrong. That's all true. Um, <laughs> no popular band names is another one. This image is, this is so. The kid's such a hipster. Such a scene kid. He's got a hipster. double lip piercing and. Snake bites lower. Like who drew oh, that? Oh man, that's so funny. All right, um, no popular band names. You got to know the right emo band names. All right, whatever. Who cares? Why is Promise Ring on there? All right, whatever. I don't care. Recognize the lifestyle. <laughs> Investigate their online presence. Jesus Christ. So essentially, they're saying the scene kids were all over MySpace. The yep. emo kids were more on Live Journal. Yep. Because you know the emo kids were on Live Journal. Yeah. The scene culture overwhelmingly embraces and celebrates gender bending and androgyny or metrosexuality, metrosexuality yeah. <laughs> which is essentially just guys that learned how to clean themselves and get a haircut. Yep. The and boys these days them. are supposedly metrosexual and that, right. Like, that was like a thing. Yeah. Like, guys would be like, oh, I'm a metrosexual. And oh, you're like, shaved. Oh, you got a haircut for the first and time in shaved. 10 years. Yeah. You took a shower one, more than once this week. Yep. Good for you. You get a special title. Yeah. Um, essentially, the androgyny approach they claim to, like, David Bowie in the 70s. Because he's very androgynous in the 70s. <laughs> I'm sorry, this is funny. Watch for a smile. Essentially, the scene kids smile, the emo kids don't. Thanks, <laughs> WikiHow. Notice their self-expression. 
Members of the emo subculture tend to express themselves via poetry, art, and music. Scene culture communicates through their fashion and sense of style. Gotcha. Thank you for reading WikiHow. Thanks, WikiHow. Thanks, WikiHow. <laughs> that taught me nothing. Yeah. Nope. All Essentially, right. like... So, let's... Um, can we talk about, real quick, party shades? Yeah. Because I feel like that was the biggest well, thing. Well, we talk about party shades. I want to talk about Jay-Z and Kanye West. Oh, here. You go. That's that that kind of led into yeah. like, the party shades. So, like, the interesting thing was, like, in that scene, like, where emo and scene kids were kind of mixing, we a lot of people were listening to, like, Jay-Z and uh, Kanye West. And I remember, like, people yelling, like, throw your diamonds in the sky. That was like, that was a thing. Throw your diamonds in the sky if you feel the vibe. Yeah, and part of that came from, like, Thank Fall you, Out Kanye. Boy. Yeah, but part of that came from, like, Fall Out Boy. Like, and their relationship with Kanye and Jay-Z. Fall Out Boy had a relationship with Kanye and yeah, Jay-Z? Yeah, they did. Um, Is it the Illuminati? Probably. <laughs> um, but they had a relationship, and, like, people that love Fall Out Boy were like, oh, I fucking love Kanye because they love, they love Kanye. Um, and that was just so really interesting that, like, it was kind of where we started that. to branch out. Yeah, dude. Fall Out Boy said a shout-out to Jay-Z in 2006. Yeah. What's the thing that... Pete Wentz does. does <laughs> yeah, so that's the thing, like, and it kind of makes sense now, because, like, Fall Out Boy's shitty music now has a lot of rappers that, like, can't be Ooh, Fall Out Boy's music is garbage yeah. now. So, I mean, I think that's the interesting part, is that, like, kind of was when we started to, like, branch out to other music. Mm-hmm. Um, and you want to talk about Shutter Shades. Shutter Shades. So, the scene... Scene... I hate that so much. I do, I do, too. I have nothing else to say, but that's what it that's is. That's what it is. It um, is what it is. Because they were known for, like, bright colors. Like, holy shit, wow, bright colors. And yeah. they had crazy dyed hair. They took cues from anime influences with the colors. Yep. And they wore what I called highlighter pants. Yeah. I like did the not yellow wear pants. Like the I did not wear those. Ones. Yeah, I didn't wear those either because I thought they were ugly. I thought they were weird. Um... I stuck to my gray and black I just made a note that says, remember fucking party frames? Like shutter shades? And how the scene kids wore shutter shades? Yep. I just made a note about that, and I thought those (laughs) were hideous and hilarious at the same time. Alright, so we're going to quickly talk about fake religion. Yeah. So, this, I think, this was one I put on here. So, my parents sent me to Jesus camp. Shocker. I grew up in a small town in Michigan, and my parents sent me to Jesus camp. Yeah. Um, apparently, and, I mean, I kind of noticed this as a kid, emo music had a huge impact with, like, the Jesus kids, and there is apparently a subgenre of emo called Christian emo. That was a thing. I remember that. And, like, I remember a lot of those bands later coming out saying, like, we're not Christian. We just did this to, like, get big. Yeah. Exactly. So, some of the bands, like, I mean, obviously we all fucking know Reliant K is super Jesus. Amberlin is religious. Um, The Red Jumpsuit Apparatus. I didn't know that they were considered religious. Um, Paramore actually used to consider themselves religious. Yeah, no, I get that. Same with Under Oath. Because Paramore, like, Paramore is actually religious, but their music wasn't really religious. Right, but they were identified as, like, one of the... Jesus yeah. friendly punk emo bands. I don't know what the hand motions I'm doing, doing right but like, 
I don't know. When I grew up, it was like a big thing that like, oh, yeah. you should be listening to the Jesus-friendly bands. Yep. And when I went to Jesus camp, we the amount of Reliant K I, I just think like heard. I think the shittier part of that were that bands were pretending to be religious and pretending like making this music that wasn't yeah, actually religious. Yeah, so hold on, um, I've got a link for this. And they like they were just doing it to get exposure because they knew it would be easier to like get big in that community. Yeah, so there's a music article that came out in 2014 called Your Favorite Christian Rock Bands Probably Aren't Christian. Speaking of, like, bands, like, this came out after the lead singer of As I Lay Dying came out saying that we faked having a religious faith just to get a fan base. And a lot of bands actually were, like, given a Christian stigma, even though they obviously, like, did not care about religion. It's funny, because I was, like, the kind of person that... I loved Reliant K, and I found out that they were, like, a considered a Christian band. I was like, oh, I'm not going to listen to them anymore, because that's bullshit. So, I mean, I, even as a 14-year-old, didn't give a fuck about religion, even though my parents clearly did. And I was sent to a lot of, like, almost culty-level feeling events where they would bring in, like, emo bands. Like, I saw Skillet and Pillar and Flyleaf and Underoath. And as I lay dying, and like all of these bands that were like, it's cool to be a Christian. Flyleaf was a Christian band. Yeah, they played at. I did not know that. They played at this event I was sent to against my will called the Choir of the Fire, and they also discussed like Norma Jean and Geodos and uh-huh. like all this shit. And I'm like, none of these bands are religious. This is a load of bullshit. That's crazy. Yeah. So I. Not that we have a lot of information on this, but I just remember, like, growing up in listening to the emo bands yeah. and going to Jesus Camp, and they were like, these bands are so Jesus-friendly. You should listen to these bands. All right, so, trigger warning. We're getting into the dark We're going to get into the dark stuff right now. So, we're going to cover misogyny, sexism, um, sexual assault, all, all of, of the, the tox- toxicity the t- of this... Yeah. Warped tour culture, the scene culture, emo yeah. culture. Um, so you can go ahead and start. Yeah, a ton of so research on this. I think a lot of this stems from the, air quotes again, lonely boy aesthetic. Yep. Where these songs are a lot of the time one-sided and the men are venting fury at women that are wrong, have wronged them. And I want to jump on that as well and say, like, there were not a lot of women in music in like the emo, early part of in the it, early yeah. part of it yeah there was like hey monday and paramore and i hate to bring this up because i know Haley williams williams hates when they bring it up when people bring it up but the song misery business she's slut shaming somebody in it yeah and granted like it was 10 years ago but at the time this was huge and as we're hearing these guys vent about women that have wronged them we're also hearing women vent about women that have wronged them yeah so it's just constant like barrage barraging um, of like people beating down on women. Yeah. And, um, like, obviously now, like, Cassie Pope and Haley Williams have spoken out against him, and, like, I'm so sorry for that. I was a kid. I didn't know, like, I didn't think about, like, what kind of impact this had. But at the time, like, you're sitting there, yeah. and everyone's talking shit about how you're a woman. Yeah. And that's that was the hard part. So, lyrics, like we said, were either slut-shamey, they were super toxic, and they led to a culture that could be con- construed as predatory, manipulative, and just, like, 
fucking awful towards women. And by women, I mean the young girls that were impacted by all of this. So, like, I found a quote that says, Men are on stage. The young women are off of it. In this realm created by boys for girls, they're trying to impress or seduce them. And thinking of that, like, can we just talk for a second about, like, the negging in the emo scene? Like, holy shit, the negging. Yeah. Like, I felt like there was such, like, a vibe between... No, there was. Like, there was just all these guys that were like, you're ugly, but I don't think you are. Like, everybody thinks you're Everyone thinks you're uglier. Everyone thinks you're awful and no one wants to be around you. But you know what? I want to be around you. Yeah, like, that was okay. And you're like, oh my god, he likes me so much. But no, he's He's so different. Oh. No, nobody hates you. You, It's, it was, yeah, I agree with that. So, I have a note here that says, few women were in the emo bands and by that, women had such little influence over the lyrical content. Yep. Women were positioned as one-dimensional figures that exist solely to fulfill the needs of men. So... Whenever these women are, like, not in the men's world, or they're, you know, not doing what the men wanted them to do, they're treated, they're talked about in the frame of, like, how much misery and how they ruined these men's lives. Yes. Even though these guys were, like, 20, 21, maybe. And they're Maybe talking like mid twenties. Yeah, and they're yeah. talking about how these women ruined their lives because they didn't want to be with them, or they were. Which is crazy. Looking back, it's like if a girl's want to be with you, then there's probably fucking something. There's probably a fucking reason why. Yeah, really. Um, looking back on a lot of this, like I actually had like a huge revelation that, like, man, I fed into a lot of these lyrics, yep. and I realized how shitty it was. Now that I'm an adult, and I'm like, man, this is shitty. All right, so I have another quote that says, When these songs repeatedly tell a band's female fans that their value is directly correlated to their willingness to appease the desires of men, that dynamic is made all the more severe. So, like, thinking about it, like, we kind of grew up being told, like, your job is to appease the men around you. So I'm going to read this line of lyrics from Brand New, and, like, I, I mean... Growing up, like, you didn't think that they were fucked up, but Mm-mm. as an adult, when you actually read them, they are super messed up. It's, um... So, what song are you quoting? 70 Times 7. Ooh, By Brand God. New. The line right. is, have another drink and drive yourself home. I hope there's ice in all the roads. And you can think of me when you forget your seatbelt, and again when your head goes through the windshield. This song is about a girl that cheated on him. Like, in no world does somebody that cheats on you deserve Deserve that. to die. Yeah. Yeah. Or deserve to have that happen. Yeah. He, I don't know the lyrics at the top of my head, but Brand New also has a song where essentially they're discussing date raping a woman because the guy is so depressed and upset that, you know, he's going to get a woman drunk and take advantage of her. And they also have song lyrics about how this guy's girlfriend gets goes to study abroad and he hopes that she meets guys overseas and that her plane crashes on the way home. So the song you're talking about is called Me versus Maradona versus Elvis. And the line is, barely conscious in the door where, you're, where you stand, your eyes are fighting sleep while your mouth makes your demands. You laugh at every word, trying hard, too hard to be cute. I almost feel sorry for what I'm going to do. 
That's so fucked up. That's so fucked up. And the fact and then, that if you look back, we were singing. I, we were singing, I didn't listen I didn't, to Brand New. I didn't really either. But as a culture, we were singing a yeah, lot of this. I agree. We're not, obviously not the first women that have talked about the fucked up power dynamic yep. in the pop punk and emo culture. And a lot of that, I mean, like we just said, is flown into present times. I actually think it's it's kind of hard for, like, thinking back on it to realize how the music made you internalize so much more gendered self-loathing. Because, obviously, like, self-loathing... You were, like, all is, of the shitty things that were happening to you, you were internalizing and making it out to be your fault. Yeah. But it and you're also well listening like other people. Yeah, but you're, at the same time, you're also listening to music that's telling you, like... It's your fault. Yeah. You're a girl, it's your fault. Yeah. Um, this is going to be probably the fun part of this discussion. So, looking back, we obviously both were into, at Uh, some point, the emo guys. Yeah. At some point. So, I dated this guy that was, like, talking to another girl, too. And he was like, well, I like her more than you. And I was like, okay, well, go for it. I'm way hotter than you should be able to get, so... I literally was like, bye, Felicia, walked away. And to this day, he still, every now and then, will be like, that was a huge mistake. Like, I hate regret... I regret ever saying that to you, because you were right. Like, I... Yeah, but... You were into me, and she wasn't, one. And two, like, you were, like, way better than anyone I could have gotten. Yeah. And you were, like, an amazing person, and I... I regret that so much, ever saying that to you, and, like, messing that up. Like, okay, well, it's been, like, eight years. It's been ten years, actually. Yeah. It's been ten years. You should probably get over so it. So, I'll be... There was one guy I liked in middle school that was into... He wasn't, like, super, like, emo guy, but he was into, like, the emo music, and I think yeah. I was attracted to him because we had similar, like, musical interests, and I mean, I'm not gonna lie, that's how I'm... That's the main reason I started dating my boyfriend now, uh-huh. is that we had similar musical interests. And this guy made me feel like shit. Like, he was like, oh, I can do a lot better than you. I know that I consider you one of my best friends, but I can do so much better than you. so shitty. And he knew because people around me were like, oh, this girl's really into you. And I was in like eighth fucking grade. So I was already a mess of a person at that time. And I was made fun of constantly for liking this guy. And this guy made me feel like shit because he knew that I liked him. Yeah. Yeah. And it was literally, you know what our thing in common was? We both liked Under Oath. All right. So this is where I was going to get kind of, not kind of dark, pretty dark. Um, So this is the trigger warning again. Um, We're going to be talking about sexual assault now. So I think the first thing I want to say is warp to our bread. This like culture of men that thought it was okay to like utilize their fans and young girls for their own desires if that makes sense and kevin lyman who was like the founder and organizer of warp tour didn't do much to um like ask like to address it stop it it. any of it um so i think the first one i want to talk about is one of I think the more media-covered ones, at least yeah. for me, um, is Front Porch Step. Yeah. 
and basically the lead singer of Front Porch Dub, I can't remember his name and I really don't care to say it. I don't care exactly. Um, accusations were coming out against him that he was pressuring girls into sending nudes, like 14-year-olds, 15-year-olds, underage girls, to sending him nudes and sex with him and um, like have phone sex with him while he had girlfriends. And they were coming out against him saying that he was basically sexually assaulting minors in this way. Yeah. Um, and I think the person that really exposed this was one of his ex-girlfriends that he also gaslit the entire time and tried yeah. to make her seem like she was crazy and that none of this was true, but it was. Fuck And the big dude. issue with this was that he was still allowed to play Warp Tour. They took him off the Warp Tour after 15,000 signatures. There were the 15,000 signatures to take him off. Um, but Kevin Lyman still allowed him to play one show as, like, a quote-unquote, um, like, I think it was something like a rehabilitation step. What? But they still let him play a show, and there were tons of little girls, like, there were tons of children there crying, because it was, this was huge in 2004, and everybody knew about this happening. 2014, not 2014, 2014, sorry. 2014. Um, so, I was doing some research, and I found this one, and this really disgusted me, because this was... Someone taking advantage of their... They weren't a member of the band, but they took advantage of their proximity to a band to take advantage of young girls. So the tour manager for the Australian band Getaway Plan used his proximity to the group to groom and rape 55 teenage girls as young as age 14. So, unsurprisingly... Most of these girls were fans of the band and told that they could join the band on tour and meet the members if they fed into this guy's demands. So this guy was 21 at the time this all happened. Uh He was found guilty by a court in Australia of 92 charges of rape, sexual penetration with a minor, possession of child pornography... Using of a carriage service to groom a minor and using a carriage service to harass minors. So, that's horrendous. And that was part of the culture. Awful. Um, This one's not on your list, but I'm just going to briefly talk about it. Yeah. It's the lead singer of Lost Prophets, not going to name him. Oh, yeah. Um, not a big one. I'm not going to talk too much about it because honestly it's very triggering and the worst thing I've ever, ever heard. Um, but basically, he uh, was charged with conspiracy to engage in sexual activity with a very young child, I'm not going to say the age, and with possession of child porn, um, animal porn, what, whatnot. Um, but he referred to his sexual, his sexual offenses as mega lols, as in, like, he thought it was funny and not, like, an actual Ugh, issue. That's disgusting. Um, and he was sentenced to 29 years in prison. Um, but the issue, like, the other part of this is, like, he almost bred kind of, like, a cult-like thing with the women he was dating, that they were so obsessed with them that they were willing to offer, like, these children to him. Like, because they, the children that he was assaulting were their kids, like his ex-girlfriends or these yeah, his girlfriend's kids. children. Um, and if you are interested in this or want to read more about how fucked up this is, definitely look it up. I don't really want to talk too much about it because Steph and I talked about it and it's just... It's, it's, it's awful. It's awful and I don't really want to get into it. Um, another one that you had brought up to me that I was unaware of was... Um, Newfound Glory's 
guitarist. Yeah, and I it's it's and it's I. This is so. This is another. This was pre front porch stuff. Yes. Yeah, so they. Um, this it was, was in like, like early, 12, early. 13. Yeah, this was like 2011, 2012. something like that, and. um... He was kicked out of the band at around the same time that his ex-wife, uh, at the, his wife at the time, brought these videos to surface in that he was um, basically, like, Skyping or having, like, video chatting with, like, girls that seem underage. They, the issue with this one was that people, because it's online, people couldn't prove, like, how old these girls were. Yeah. Um, but they seemed underage, and she uh, brought, like, a hard drive of, like, a hundred videos to the police and I couldn't actually find anything about what came up of this, like if he's in jail or not. Um, so if you know this, please let us know. But he uh, was being charged for sexual misconduct yeah. on minors. Yeah. For that as well. And that was Newfound Glory, which is crazy because, like, they've been a huge part of the, the scene. scene. Yeah. Brand new um, lead singer, everyone knows his name. Again, not going to say it. Um, has had allegations brought up against him for preying on underage fans and has, as we mentioned before, obviously written songs about date rape, general rape, about victim blaming. Wishing that his girlfriend would die in a car crash or in a plane crash. Slut shaming has done awful things. So this one is pretty recent. Um, And it's also extra, 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 extra bad. Trigger times ten. Yeah. Alright, so a band that I know I listened to... I did not. ...when I was very young. Um, the band Aiden, named after the kid from The Ring. Um, women have come forth claiming that the band's frontman, Will Francis, also known in his solo career as William Control who is 36 right now, has emotionally abused and forced women into getting his initials tattooed on them and demanding that his partner sign contracts deeming that they are his slaves. So this is not new. He's been doing this for a while. Mm -hmm. Or that's what the claims have said. Um, Accusations against him and his overly extreme BDSM practices came forth in a June Facebook post claiming that a woman had been groomed for his sexual cult since she was 14 years old. Alright, so here's what all of this, like, people will, I mean, as disgusting as it is, people will regularly ask, why does this happen? Yeah. Why do women let themselves be subjected to this? And in a quote from Nicole Gary, who was the first person to come out against the lead singer of Brand New, she said, You're flattered because the singer of one of your favorite bands is interested in you, and no one has taken interest in you before. Because if you think back, like at 13, 14, 15 years old, you feel awkward. You yeah. look awkward. Yeah, nobody's taken interest in me before. I'm not gonna lie. Like, even looking back, like, 
I'm not surprised. I probably would have done the same thing. As no, awful I as I feel about that. I, and that's, I think, this, that's what's hard for me to deal with is I remember being, like, 13, 14, 15, 16, 17, and, like, being super into these guys and saying, like, oh, I'm thinking, oh, I wish they would be into me, too. Yeah. I wish I could do stuff with them. And as an adult, I'm just like, oh, my God, that's so crazy. The fact that you feel that way as a 14, 15, 16, the fact that you feel that, even the fact that sometimes people feel that way now at my age as an adult, I'm like, that's kind of gross. Like, I don't know this person. Why do I feel like I should be attracted to them? Yeah. And that they should be attracted to me? I don't know this person. Yeah. Agreed. Alright. Um, so, another quote that I oh. found says, These men don't want women. Grown women see through their bullshit, tortured genius messiah act. They want girls. And in many cases, literal schoolgirls were legally unable to give consent or sexual consent. I mean, it's not wrong. It's not wrong. All right, so let's um, go a little bit more lighthearted now. That yeah, so now that we've gone through the deepest part, I mean, like we said earlier, there were some aspects to this that we enjoyed. I mean, there are some yeah. very shitty people, and... And I think to cover, like, emo culture, we have to cover both, because... I agree. That was, an, it was, that was That became a huge aspect of the culture. Yeah, I mean, growing up, this was obviously happening... But it didn't come out until we were already adults. Yeah. And so, like, to cover... If we're covering emo, we have to cover the shitty things that happened that we didn't necessarily know about at the time. I agree. So, let's start by talking about the end of an era, a.k.a. the Warped Tour. Yes. So, do you... Supposedly, Kevin Lyman has said that due to declining ticket sales and fewer bands participating... That the Warped Tour needed to end. Okay. We already have established that Kevin Lyman's a piece of shit. So this article I found states, The whole premise that Lyman raises seems to promote secrecy and judging by how some of the problems of the past were handled, particularly with the front porch step being allowed to continue on the tour despite sexual assault allegations, it's a flawed system. He hints at how he views the present environment of men being held accountable for past actions as not reckoning, but a possible hazard. Um, and basically, this article states at, at the end that it presents a warped view of the culture surrounding sexual harassment and sexual assault, where the biggest concern isn't protecting women, but optics. With that being said, maybe Warped Tour's conclusion is a good thing after all. Which I think is very important to state. Because I agree. Warped Tour did feel like this cesspool of just co- constant sexual misconduct. Yeah. And, oh, man, even, like, looking back, like... Bands don't want to be on Warped Tour anymore because all this stuff is coming out against things that have happened on Warped Tour or bands that are on Warped Tour that have done shitty things. Yeah. There was a lot of not great people. So, like... What years had you gone to Warped Tour? I went 2008-2009. I went 2007-2008. And I haven't gone since. I haven't gone. I know people that have gone since. I do too. And I almost wanted to go like the year that Good Charlotte was going. um, Like two years ago. Okay. 
But then I, was I like, knew, I'm not doing this anymore. Like, former guest Caroline. Former was, Caroline? Former Caroline uh, was there last year. Okay. And I, I almost wanted I to go this she year. Was, I almost thought about going this year. I almost thought about going this year for, like, nostalgia's sake with it being the last year. But I'm also not going to put myself through that because I do... I do think the sexual misconduct is rampant in festivals in general. And, I mean, oh, Warped I Tour is no different just because it's Believe an alternative me, culture. We will probably have a discussion about this post Lollapalooza. Yeah. Because this is the discussion every year that comes up during Lollapalooza. Yeah. And not that we have ever had the unfortunate circumstance. Oh, I have. At Lollapalooza? Not Lollapalooza, but, but at festivals. festivals. Yeah. I know your festival story. Yeah. Um, I think festivals in general are kind of a breeding, like you said, are like a breeding ground for sexual misconduct. Yep. And uh, unfortunately, the crowd at Warped Tour is so young, it leads to a younger version of a lot of that. A younger version of it, and then younger kids thinking it's okay because this is what they've grown up with. Yeah. This is what they see, and people like Kevin Lyman are saying, it's okay. And I mean, unfortunately, we grew up with feeling like, oh, this guy talking like I'm a piece of shit is okay. Yeah, which has brought a lot of insecurity in us. Oh, it's brought a huge mess of problems, and a huge... I think that I almost would put part of that on the sexual misconduct that we see at festivals today. Yeah. Yeah. I want to talk about the rise of the emo nostalgia. Okay. So, I have this a note in here about this, because we talked about this. I talked about this with Steve the other day. Okay. Um, Steve says that most of the nostalgia with the emo and scene group is that now they're old enough and have actual disposable income. So that's why we see a rise in some of these bands I get doing that. stuff. But I also think it's we're realizing as adults that it's more acceptable to have... To live our lives the way that we did when we were, like, 16. Like, to yeah. to dress alternatively, to have tattoos, to have piercings. Like, you and I both have visible tattoos in the oh, yeah. Um But we're seeing that, like, there's a rise in the acceptance of having mm-hmm. tattoos and having facial piercings and hair, like, colored hair. Like, that's a thing now. And I think that we're realizing that, that we can be nostalgic to this and, like, we can still... This doesn't have to be a part of our past. It can still be a part of our present. Yeah. In a, in a certain way. And I think that's part of the rise of emo and nostalgia is that we're both, we're all kind of accepting, like, these bands are embracing the fact that we do have money now, but also, like, we can still like these bands because they're growing up with us still. Yeah. And I mean, if you think about it, like, we still dress in all black. We still wear beat up Converse. We yeah. wear beat up Vans. Like now we can just afford Doc Martens. Yeah, now we can afford Doc Martens. That's, that's the, the difference. Only, that's the difference. Um, now we can I, afford Levi's instead of fucking American Apparel Apparel jeans. Oh no, American Apparel. American yeah, American jeans. Anyways, um, let's go through before we wrap a couple of. Quick anniversaries for music yes. in the emo scene. So do you want to read the list of 15 years for 2018? Yeah, I'm probably skip around, though. Uh, first, Just read the list. So for 2018, 15-year anniversaries are Sing the Sorrow by AFI, brand, uh, Deja Intendu by Brand New, Take This to Your Grave, Fall Out Boy, um, a mission of... Uh, a mark emission of Brand Scar by Dashboard so, Confessional. That's the big Dashboard album. Yeah, I mean, I fucking love that Dashboard album too. 
Um, War All the Time with Thursday, as you mentioned. Um, For Never and Ever by Kill Hannah. A.K.A. Beauty Bar Greg. Yep. Oh, God, I forgot about that. Uh, I Am the Movie by Motion City Soundtrack and Transatlanticism, my personal favorite Death Cab for Cutie album. So, there was not a lot of big 10 years for 2018 because the indie scene had kind of taken over yep. at this point. Emo had mostly died. So, I'm going to slip on to the 15 years from 2017. Because 2017 was also a very, like, big anniversary year for the emo scene. So, 15 year anniversary wise, we've got No Pads, No Helmets, Just Balls by Sip a Plan. Tell All Your Friends by Taking Back Sunday, Leave Through the Window by Something Corporate, The Used by The Used, I Brought You My Bullets, You Brought Me Your Love by My Chemical Romance. I'm still hoping that they they get back together. together. I do too. Um, All American Rejects by All American Rejects, and Sticks and Stones by Newfound Glory. And then for 10 year anniversaries in 2017, we have Infinity on High by Fall Out Boy, Santi. By the Academy is I love that album. That's a good album. Such a good album. Uh, Southern Weather by The Almost. Do you know who The Almost is? I do. Okay. I do. Because I, I know them. some people did not realize. I had to like. I'm pretty sure I saw them at a show. So The Almost is um, oh, Aaron no. Gillespie, think, who was the, the drummer. Yeah, I know who that is. Aaron Gillespie, the drummer for Under Oath. Yep. What, that that was The Almost was his band. I've had to explain this to people, and I apologize that I had to re- re-explain it to you, but I just wanted to make sure you no, understand we're talking about the same band. Um, Riot by Paramore, Lesson in Romantic. Did they play that last year at Riot Fest? No. Oh, they, they, have a new, they had a new album last year. But still, I feel like Riot, last year would have been the year to play have them play Riot. No. No. They are... I feel like they're too big. Well, that and they're too big to like be kind of pressured into doing. All that. right. Well, I saw the Mighty Mighty Bosstones last year play. I just, I mean, I think they had just had a new album come out, and they were really pushing that album, and they're pushing a new sound. So I think that's, that's also fair. Um, a lesson in Romantics by Mayday Parade, uh, an ocean in between us by As I Lay Dying, Cartel by Cartel. Um, Bone Palace Ballet by Chiodos, and I do love me some Chiodos. All right, so can we do a quick timeout? I know two guys that have had their bo- their girlfriends stolen by the lead singer of Chiodos. So my friend's younger brother was dating a girl, and Craig Owens stole her. Stole her. Like the girl started cheating on this guy with Craig Owens. Oh my god! And then one of Steve's friends lived with Craig Owens for a while and stole his girlfriend. Uh, Craig Owens can get it, though. So, Craig Owens is actually from Flint, Michigan. Okay. So, like, in, in Michigan, Chiodos was huge. Chiodos and was huge in Florida. Alright, let's go. Alright, so, go on. Um, um, Motions, uh, Even If It Kills Me by Motion City Sound. Oh, that album is so good. Yes. So Wrong Is Right by All Time Low. Chase Is Light by Jimmy Orald. And, and then- my favorite album, Viva La Cobra, a Cobra Starship. Yep. All right, so... Um, that was a... Very long episode. That was a long episode, but I... It was fun. I enjoyed doing some research for it. Yeah. I enjoyed talking about it with you. Slipping back into the nostalgia. Let's wrap this up. <laughs> All right, so what did we learn? We learned that, Mom, this is not a phase. This is my life. That's and, I mean, we were wrong. It wasn't no, a phase. No, it wasn't a phase. It was our life. It is our life. All right. Thank you for listening. And uh, we will see you guys soon. Yep.
All right, so that was the episode. You could follow all of our shenanigans and watch while we act as a beer social media account that masquerades as a podcast. Yeah, we have all the socials, as you know. Um, so keep in touch with us. Say hi. We like friends and uh, come hang out if you're in. All right, that was the episode. You can keep up with all of our lives and drunken shenanigans, drunken shenanigans on social media and the interwebs. Yes, we are for first and foremost a beer Instagram, pretending to be a podcast Instagram. That's accurate. Yeah, I would say so. Um, so come follow all of our socials. We have all of them. All of them. Uh, we're Drunken and Cultured Podcast on the Facebook. We are Drunk Uncultured on Twitter. Because Drunk and Uncultured was too long of a name. We are on Instagram as Drunk and Uncultured. And we have a Gmail account slash email, I guess. Gmail is not the right word. Gmail is the right word. Is it? Okay. Yeah. Um, we have an email account on Gmail. <laughs> uh, if you want to contact us about any opinions you have, things you want to hear, things that are too long for Twitter, like 200, longer than 280 characters. Or, you know, you just want to say hi. Yeah. So that's drunkanduncultured at gmail.com. We have a kind of website that is drunkanduncultured.podcast.com. Eventually, will be a real website. Hopefully. Or maybe never. Maybe you know. not. It might just be something that we own the, the, the domain to and never actually use. I make a Spotify playlist for every episode. She so. does. So listen to it, subscribe, let Steph feel fulfilled in life, and it's validate called, her. It's called Drunk and Uncultured Music. We're on Spotify. And, and it's a good playlist. I listen, I listen to it all the time. I change it every couple of weeks because it's whatever we're listen to, listening to or, like, it's themed around the episode yeah, sometimes. it's really good usually. Always. Shouldn't say usually. She gave me a mean look. <laughs> <laughs> um, we both have our individual socials. Stephanie is at underscore Stephen Color. And Lindsay is at Lindsay Sold Out. So if you like the show, please go online, um, on whatever your favorite podcast streaming service is. Or if we're, you know reaching you if you're listening to this illegally somehow i don't know how i don't know how just like subscribe rate us like us leave a review whatever floats your boat if we're reaching you you know telepathically just uh reach out back at us